Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Lady Leadership Podcast. My name's Sam McIntyre. I'm a career coach, career expert, and I know a thing or two about tech. Now, if you're wanting to shift your career forward, if you're wanting to drive your career, have you actually checked out my website, which is www.lady-leadership.com? I've got lots of great resources free resources on my website, which you could download. So I've got a really fabulous masterclass, which is called Driving Your Career. And it's really about, talks about how to get more out of your career. I've got a fabulous Your Next Promotion checklist. And this shows you the steps or the things that you should consider if you're looking to be promoted in your role. And then I've actually also got a career checklist, which is really like a 360 on your career and um, gets you kind of to review your career and think about your career and where it's at. So check out those. Um, Love to hear from you. Love to, um, if you've got any questions, hit me up um, and uh, settle in and have have a listen to this great chat that I've got coming up now with Jess Stewart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Lady Leadership. I'm super excited. Uh, On the show today, I have the lovely Jess Stewart, and um, she's just written a new book, Burnout to Brilliance. She's an expert in coaching, and she's written five books. And um, we're going to talk about burnout. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. And what I'm really excited about for this season of Lady Leadership is very much a how-to. So I just really wanted to help women you know, work out the steps or work out what they want to do. So welcome to the show, Jess. Thanks, Samantha. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Now, you're coming to me from, now, tell me the island again. Waiheke Island in New Zealand. I I didn't think I could pronounce that correctly. And (laughs) I'm coming to everyone from Hamilton Island today in Australia. So we're in in the islands, which is wonderful and I think good good for your mental health as well. Definitely, yeah. We're we're on island time. <laughs> um, so just let's get right stuck into it. You a few years ago, you really threw your life up in the air. So let's let's go there if that's okay. Of course, yeah. It's a good starting point. So my background's in human resources. I came over to New Zealand from the UK via Australia, actually. So I've worked in all three countries. Um, always worked with leaders and had a particular passion for women in that space because I am one and so my journey mirrored so many others but I also noticed that there were so many amazing women in that space that couldn't see their own abilities and for me I was busy doing my thing in HR climbing the career ladder and at the same time there was lots of other things happening in my life that I guess in hindsight I wanted to avoid so I threw myself into my work I got really busy and then I burned out And that really gave me the opportunity to take stock and go, okay, there's some stuff here that's not working. What do I do to rework it? And that was the watershed moment for me. So um, I stepped away from my HR career. I went overseas. I taught English to Buddhist monks in northern Thailand and visited a lot of countries in Asia that I'd never seen before and learned so much about a different way of life that I then wanted to pull together So in the process of doing this, I also left my long-term relationship with a guy in New Zealand and came out. And all of this stuff changed in my life in a way that when all the pieces fell back together and I came back down to earth, I wanted to write about it and share that journey with others. But I also then wanted to put what I'd learned into practice to find a new way of being. 
how can we be our best in life and get the best out of our life without burning ourselves out in the process? Nice. I mean, there's there's a lot in that, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) But um, is it, did you just get to know yourself better, do you think? That was a huge amount of it, yeah. I think I'd been going along blindly before Mm. then and that aha moment, particularly when you burn out, you have a lot of time on your hands because you literally can't do anything. So it gives you time to reflect and think. And I think that deepening experience, I was spending a lot of time in ashrams, meditating, going on retreats. And that reflection time and the time I spent by myself really helped me get to know myself. So I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Mm. What did the burnout look like? Did you just lose the plot, so to speak? (laughs) Eventually, (laughs) yes. (laughs) It was um, a slow burn. Right. And I think that's the that's the sneaky thing about burnout. It's a slow burn. And looking back in hindsight, it all seems very obvious now. But it started with a loss of energy, not taking breaks, working long hours. And then I noticed I started to lose focus. I started to just be tired all the time, even when I slept. I wasn't performing the way I knew I could. And that made me frustrated and a little bit guilty as well. And then it just... Ex- it, spiraled into this feeling of overwhelm that I'm I'm not coping mm. but at its worst and this is what I noticed in hindsight I tried to explain away at the time at its worst it was just me checking out from everything even things I enjoyed so I'd yeah. check out from friends and social engagements but I'd explain that by saying oh well you know you've got a busy job and this is just part of life and I'd withdraw and detach from even the things I enjoyed like yoga practice going to the gym um going to the beach I just didn't have the motivation for any of that and then at its worst it's just this total loss of hope and I noticed that there were little habits creeping in like a glass of wine on a Friday night to unwind became a bottle and Mm. things that I would explain away it's been a hard week you deserve a treat that now in hindsight I see was me unraveling yeah yeah did you just get in your in your head a little bit too and that everything seemed a bit hard Yeah, it was an escape, I think, for me, because there were so many things happening in my life. And I'd got this career that I'd worked my way up the ladder that everyone was saying, you know, you've got your dream job, you're earning so much money, you've got the company car, why would you throw that all away? So there was an element of, this isn't working, but it's supposed to. And there's Mm. a whole heap of stuff in my life I need to address, but it's hard, and I don't want to. So it was me burying myself and distracting myself any way I could to try and not face the reality and to figure out, well, if this glitzy, shiny, successful career isn't what I want, what is? What's the alternative? Yeah. It sounds very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've certainly burnt out in uh, in my career and all the the things you describe uh, sound very, very familiar. And I think I spent a a year kind of sitting on the couch um, you know, after leaving a big job and, um, and I think just kind of getting to know myself again as well. And what I, what I did enjoy and what did, cause you kind of, it, you know, you're on that treadmill and you climb and climb and there is that sort of, I think sometimes you're like, oh, when I, it, it's that not living in the moment and then I'll be happy when, or I'll be, you know, yeah. Yeah. And so um just tell me a little bit about the ashram then and you know that experience and um did what what sort of made that decision what made you go oh, I'm I'm going to go and do this 
Um, there was no real plan. I think what I, the conclusion I'd drawn uh, by the time I burned out was plan A hasn't worked. I need a plan B, but I don't know what that looks like. So I'm going to, it was almost like a research trip, a field trip. Yeah. I'm just going to go and try heaps of things that I think might work and do things that I enjoy and see where that leads. So I trained to be a yoga teacher. I ended up teaching mindfulness and meditation. And I was exploring this ancient Eastern culture in a way that I was like, well, how can we apply this to the Western people psychology stuff that we get taught as part of our HR and leadership journey? How do these two things fit together in a way that they can complement each other? And in a way that I can bring sort of the ashram principles into our workplaces, because let's face it, if we all go and ordain as monks and nuns and sit on a hilltop, we're probably going to be quite zen. But mm. that's not the reality for most of us in mm. our modern world. Yeah. So how do we take some of those principles in a way that can still work amidst what is a busy life? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, talk through some of those principles then and what that looks like. I think the biggest one for me was the power our mind has. I think so often we overlook the power of our mind. And we talk about mindset and mental health. But it can be so simple, almost so simple we overlook it. So sitting for 10 minutes in the morning with a still mind is what sets me up for the rest of the day in terms of how I focus, how I create space in my brain to innovate and to think, to solve problems, make decisions. And yet we are encouraged in our organizations to fill all of our time with doing, to be busy, to never mm -hmm. stop. And more is always better. And so as a result, our minds are very overwhelmed, overloaded, chaotic, busy, and cognitively, our function just isn't what it can be when we follow that prescription as opposed to stepping back, stopping, giving ourselves time and space. And, of course, with our devices and social media, that's just ramped that up tenfold in terms of that information overload and always on mentality. Yeah, and that always thinking, oh, I've got to do or I've got to be or I've got to get. So, and I mean, you know, that's really good advice. It, it was interesting this morning, my um, young son was just sitting next to me in bed. He'd gotten up and I actually was on my phone. I will admit to that. And um, then I said to him, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm just sitting here thinking. And so, you know, it's quite, it's quite a natural thing, I think, to do. But um, yeah, just, uh, uh, you know, also like immersing yourself in nature and just sort of being and uh, observing and... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we underrate those skills. I think we, over time, particularly in our modern world, we've prioritized busyness as a means of success and productivity to the point where we've deprioritized any pauses or downtime. And we almost put that in a basket now that says, oh, this is a waste of time or it's what you do when you're on leave, as opposed mm. to this is what I actually need to do to function at my best. And that's really why I wrote the book to kind of change the narrative in that space as to how we access um, our peak performance. Yeah. And so what else What else do you recommend then as well? In terms of in the terms mindset of, piece? Yeah, and, and sort of, you know, principles really. Yeah, I think, I mean, being close to nature is, is a huge one mm. um, for me. And I've, I almost liken it to plugging myself into charge. You know, when we plug our mobile phones into the wall, when I'm out in nature, it's like exactly the same thing for me. And we all, you know, that's different for everybody. We all have our thing. But our sustainability is so important. And we've deprioritized that in favor of push through. We're too busy to stop right now. I'll rest when the to-do list is complete. And I have this concept that I'm often talking about, slowing down to speed up. 
which sounds totally counterintuitive. And in a world where we're conditioned to do more things in less time, slowing down never seems like an option. But when we slow down, take time out, press pause on our brains, take our breaks, go on leave, do all the things we need to sustain ourselves, what we find is when we come back to our work, we perform better, we're more effective, things don't take as long, we make less mistakes, we solve problems easily, make decisions better, we can uh, regulate our emotions as well, so our relationships are better. And so that concept of slowing down is what enables us to speed up because we're more effective and we're doing a better job. And yet we often find that counterintuitive. So we favor the speeding up part and we forget to slow down. And of course, what we might be turning out a lot of stuff, but what's the quality of that? Mm, yeah. And I, I often talk about this difference between quantity and quality. You know, we favor in our Western world, more is always better. It's the quantity of what you do that determines your productivity. And of course, that's not the case if what you're producing is rubbish because you're on the verge of burnout. So the quality of what we do is way more important always. I think I think that's a really good point. And um, I mean, do you just feel like so I've I think I've noticed in my life, I've got to be careful with how many things I put on my plate. And so, you know, jobs and children and pets and podcasts and all those kind of things, you sort of can, you feel as though, you know, spreading yourself a bit too thin. What's your view on that? And you're not, yeah. and you're not being good at anything. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's yeah. a common problem, particularly for women, because we have, you know, our day jobs and then we have full time jobs everywhere else in life, whether yeah. that be caring for kids and pets or elderly parents there's just so much expected of us, um, even in a mental load in terms of the stuff we have to think about. And it can feel like we're spinning plates and you're over here spinning your work plate and that's running. And then so you go over here and spin your family plate because the kid's feeling a bit neglected. And then the work plate starts to slow and you're constantly running between plates spinning. Mm. And of course, that's that's one of the recipes for burnout. So yeah. it's, when we look at this concept of less but better, it's this realization, which is so hard to come to, that we can't do it all at the same time. So it's having our priorities and scheduling our priorities. Yet I think for so many of us, we feel this pressure to do everything and to do it perfectly. And of course, in doing that, we set ourselves up to fail because we can't do everything and we certainly can't do it perfectly. And yet that's the expectation we often have of ourselves. And of course, society plays a role too in terms of the expectations placed upon us. But I think it's having realistic expectations. And I always say to people, it's it's not about lowering the bar and doing a crap job. It's about resetting the bar to a realistic level. Um, there's a really cool uh, analogy around priorities because we, in our current day and age, we have multiple priorities. And yet the word priority was only ever a singular. So when from a language perspective, mm. the word priority existed from about the 1400s. And it didn't become priorities until the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. So when we say we've got 20 priorities this week, we should only have one. Yeah. We can't have multiple priorities. And yet I think that places this additional pressure on us. And so if you are listening to this podcast and you're feeling a little bit burnt out or a bit overwhelmed, or what would you recommend? I like to use the energy audit. Um, because it's so easy to do and it's something you can do anytime. It's a good way of checking in with ourselves. If you were a mobile phone battery, what number would that say? Is it a 10% red light flashing or 80% pretty good? When you know where you're at, 
you know what you need. And so then we can start to look at, okay, well, if my battery is a bit low, how do I charge myself? We'd never dream of taking our mobile phones out of the house if they were on 10% because we know they just die. And yet we do it with ourselves all the time. So if we know what our equivalent is of plugging ourselves into charge, whether that's being in nature, going for a run, sitting, meditating, we're all different. It could be spending time with the kids. It could be creating, listening to music, whatever that looks like for you, knowing where your battery levels are and knowing how to charge them, I think is one of the keys. But it's less about what we do and more about prioritizing it because this is the stuff that we tend to think it's a luxury, it's a nice to have, it's a bit self-indulgent, particularly as women, we think that. Mm. So then it's last on the list because we are generally last on our list. And yet when we flip the narrative and go, okay, well, this is actually the stuff I need in order to give to everybody else. This is the stuff I need to perform at my peak, to spin all the plates that are required of me. Then we start to prioritize it and it becomes just as important as all the other stuff that we have to do in, in the course of a day. Yeah, you know, I think kind of guilt plays a lot into it, doesn't it, as well? You know, that sort of taking time out for yourself. Um, you know, I think uh, as well for people that are listening that have, that have, you know, got children, I feel like it's, you know, my kids are 11 and 14 now and it's only that I'm actually getting myself back, which is just, you know, absurd. But it's not having that sort of mum guilt or that job guilt. or, And I think, you know, in terms of... I had a bit of a period where I burnt out and the the thing that I, you know, got back into was the thing that I loved as a kid growing up, which was horses. And, you know, that's where I get my energy and that's where I get my joy. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, oh, it, you know, I'd sort of not been around horses for 20 odd years and getting back into them. My husband, you know, met me when I wasn't horse riding. He knew I had horse ridden and stuff and we'd been on a few rides, but um, he says I'm a different person. He says, you know, I'm a, I'm a calmer person. And because, and you know, horses, you spend a lot of time outside in nature, countryside, you've got to be really present. So like you said, it's, it, you know, that could be dancing or that could be art or that could be meditation, etc. So yeah, trying to, trying to find that thing, like you said, to plug yourself in, I think is, is really good analogy. Like your mo- and maybe unplug your mobile phone as well. So because there's always something <laughs> on, on that. Um, so you've written the book Burnout to Brilliance, and I think it's just come out re- recently. Yes, it came out last month. Yep. And where's the best place that people can buy that? So the best place is my website, jessstuart.co.nz. Perfect. And you know, in that you, you talk about how you've burnt out, you then Yep, take three people through the steps um, that you recommend and they're going to be brilliant after that. Yeah, well, that's the plan. It's about redefining peak performance. So, well, yeah, we start at burnout, but there's more to it than just simply avoiding burnout. What are some yeah. of the barriers that get in the way? How do we cultivate a brilliant mind? What does brilliance even look like? And what about the other end of the scale? And this is particularly prevalent in New Zealand when we feel we might be too brilliant and shining too brightly and we get <laughs> the guilt of uh, being a tall poppy, I think we call it in New Zealand. Yeah, where... we do in Australia as well. We, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you, so you'll know the, the, the term. And, and I think sometimes we're more scared of if we actually did achieve our potential, what that would mean than if we just played small and continued to sort of spin lots of plates and, and never actually reach that next stage that we know we're capable of. 
Yeah, and I mean that that really feeds into you know that um, that kind of imposter syndrome as well. That you know I'm I'm not good enough, or I don't I you know we've all been there with say friends or with groups or people we worked with where you know we've been part of that group and then we've sort of found that we're not because we're thinking slightly differently, etc. Yeah, I mean imposter syndrome has been a huge. Thing. I had no idea how big it was until I wrote about it in my third book, The Superwoman Survival Guide. And I suddenly, it was like opening a can of worms. The media got hold of it. Women came out of nowhere saying, oh my God, this is me. It's like you're in my head. And then when I started to dig into it a bit more, I realized how prevalent it was, particularly in high achievers. And it, when I was in my HR career, I'd sit around leadership tables. Women were always the minority. They were nine times out of 10, the lowest paid and mm-hmm. yet often the highest performers. And when promotions came around and being in HR, you have this privileged position where you get to, to yeah, see Yeah, you say it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when promotions came around, they'd be the last to put their hat in the ring, even though they were the most qualified. And it's something that I really wanted to dig into a bit more because it's something that's so prevalent in us, regardless of gender, it's prevalent in a lot of us. 70% of us suffer with imposter syndrome. Um, and so uh, when we talk about potential and achieving our brilliance, yes, we've got to have the energy to deliver on that and obviously the skills in the first place, but we also have to have the self-efficacy. We have to have the belief in those skills and that's where imposter syndrome so often gets in the way. Yeah, and I th- you know, I think it's the way that we raise our girls as well and what we tell them and, you know, I was certainly, uh, you know, raised... Um, you know, I, my mum would say, could you get up and get your brother a glass of water, that type of thing. Um, but she was raised, you know, in a big sort of Irish Catholic family with, you know, her parents had 16 siblings between the two of them and wow. it was very much women serving the men and we're, we're not quite on from that yet, basically. And so when you're brought up in a certain way and it's then quite hard to kind of shine or to think that you're good enough or to, you know, see that I would. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And when you think of it from a leadership perspective as well, for many, many years, women didn't have a place, even in the workplace, let alone around the leadership table. So now all of a sudden we're rocking up to the leadership table with all these skills to offer. And yet we still have the cultural baggage of, should I be here? Do I belong around here? Especially if all we've had growing up are male role models in this space. Yeah. And it's that kind of delicate balance that we then do, that we've had um, a very masculine form of leadership role modeled to us. And yet we bring all these feminine skills that can be so useful. And then it feels at odds with how we're supposed to be. So it's no wonder that then we get this voice of self-doubt and inner critic as we kind of go through the ranks and get us get our seats around that table. Yeah, and then we're sexualized as well. So, you know, and then it's um, you know, there's you pull all of that stuff into it as well. And it um yeah, it makes it quite tough to turn up. And I've certainly been that person who's been the the only one in the room, the only female in the room apart from the waiting staff or the only, you know, um uh, yeah, many, many times I've, I've worked in technology for a last, long time and so it's very male orientated and, and it is very hard to be what you can't see as well. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah, that totally. does bring, uh, and, but I think, you know, my, like my recommendation around that is, you know, find, find some friends, find some people to talk to, find some people to help you 
Um, what would you recommend, Jess, around dealing with imposter syndrome? Um, it's interesting because a lot of it links back to the mindset stuff. You know, that's where imposter syndrome is. I often call it imposter experience because I think syndrome kind of sounds a bit medical, like there's something wrong with us. Um, <laughs> and it is just a passing experience. And it's an experience that can get louder when we're in a new role or just returning to the workforce or quieter when we've yeah. built our confidence and proved yeah. ourselves competent. So a lot of it is how we retrain our brain. So we've got this negativity bias in our brain that will always point to the things we haven't done yet, the things that other people can do better than us, the reasons why we're not succeeding. And at the same time, it dismisses or downplays a lot of our strengths, successes and achievements. So when we're having that moment of self-doubt and our brains are saying, mm, are you as good as they think you are? Then, of course, the brain looks for evidence. And what we've done is stacked a huge amount of evidence in the negative corner because of our bias of all the things other people can do better and things that we haven't done right or meetings we wished we'd have said spoken up and said something different yeah and yet in the other corner of our brain where we've got all our strengths successes and achievements for many women we've self-deprecated ourselves we've downplayed them we've waved away our successes we've blamed our strengths and achievements on other factors outside of ourselves like the work of the team or it was just luck or they, it's just because they like me and so of course it starts with evening out that bias in our brain. So knowing our strengths, being able yeah. to celebrate our successes. And then when we build confidence in who we are and what we bring to the table, we don't feel the need to compare to others. We, we lose that inferiority complex. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. That's very true. It's, it's get to know who you are and what you're good at and what you enjoy. Absolutely. So... Um, Jess, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? So I'm on the website. I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> yep, the website is good. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of the usual social media channels. But the website is the best place to go. It has a whole section on imposter syndrome. So some really good resources there that you can share with your teams. There's a quiz on there. Does this impact me? If so, how? What do I do about it? And a free mini course as well that people can download. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's such a good topic. And um I just, uh, you know, hope that it's going to help someone out there and um, I recommend them getting in touch with you if they are struggling and, yeah, definitely having a look at a lot of your resources and um, if not, you know, head off to an ashram and um, do some meditation, I say. But, but find, find that thing that you enjoy that where you get energy. I think that's the best one. Thanks, Samantha. Nice, nice to talk to you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, Jess. <laughs>